The following safety announcement is produced by KUCI 88.9 FM and the UCI Police Department. Hi, this is Randy Steiner with the UCI Police Department. When walking on campus, be aware of your surroundings and the people around you. Walk with confidence and avoid poorly lit areas. Become familiar with the blue light phones located throughout campus, housing communities, and parking structures. They provide 24-hour direct communication to the UCI Police Department and can be used to report a crime, fire, medical emergency, or suspicious activity. Here's how they work. Simply push the button and you are immediately transferred to a UCI Police Dispatcher. The blue light strobe flashes and the dispatched officer can find your location. The receiver picks up sounds within a 15-foot radius. Be ready to answer questions about the nature of your call. Always walk with a friend, especially at night. If needed, call UCI Police Safety Escorts at 949-824-SAFE. They provide a free safety escort to your campus destination 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For more information, visit www.police.uci.edu. Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. I believe today is the kickoff to uh, school first day classes, so hope everything goes well with everyone. I just produced a bunch of informational PSAs with the UC Irvine Police Department. That was one of them. Blue light technology is a great thing to familiarize yourself with. They're all over campus, so if you ever have an issue, uh, you can push one of those and you can talk to one of the uh, staff at UC Irvine Police Department and they will help you with whatever it is you need. We have some fantastic resources here on campus and I'll be sharing more PSAs with the police department over the semester. All right, so kicking off the show, I have Jamie Marseille is joining us right now and uh, she's really incredible. Uh, Her story is From Tragedy to Triumph. Uh, She's a double, double amputee champion athlete, motivational speaker and teacher and she's joining us right now. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Janine. I heard about you in the paper, and I thought, I really would love to have you on the show. So thank you so much for making this happen. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning. So I know your backstory a little bit. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about what happened to you years ago? Yeah, so I am a bilateral amputee below the knee, so meaning I use prosthetic devices to get around it for every day. So my leg was amputated about four to five inches below my knee almost 33 years ago. So when people ask me what happened, it's a little bit of a crazy story. I was a college student at the time driving home from a ski trip. Like many people happens, I got lost. I was with another girlfriend, and we stopped to get directions. They didn't have a map to sell us, so they explained to us where we were. And at this point, we were in the northern part of Arizona. We were driving home from New Mexico. And uh, and it was wintertime. It was December 23rd, 1987. And we took the directions he gave us, and we came upon the road, and we turned. A snowstorm started. We put our car in four-wheel drive. Eventually, the car got stuck, slid on a snowbank, and died. Oh. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So what did you do next? Um, well, we tried to dig ourselves out. It wouldn't work, so we stayed with the car. And that was one of the first decisions that saved our life because we wound up being trapped in that car for 11 days. Oh, my gosh, Jamie. Did you guys have anything with you? I mean, oh. um, No, we didn't. You know, this was 33 years ago, so we had a six-pack of Diet Pepsi because that's what healthy kids did at that time. Yes. And then we hadn't eaten, so um, and the six-pack of Diet Pepsi froze. So we wound up using the keys from the car, slicing open the soda can to try and 
you know, suck on some of that sugar. And um, after about four days, the storm stopped. And at that point, Lisa and I said, we've got to get out of here. we got to, we got to leave. And we decided to leave the car, and we put on as much clothes as we could and then put our ski clothes on the outside. Okay. And, my goodness, we got maybe 200 feet, 300 feet from the car. And, you know, remember, we hadn't eaten or drinking anything for quite a few days at yes. that point. And uh, Lisa collapsed in the snow. Oh, no. Yeah. And I looked back, and she actually had a bloody nose. Mm -hmm. And we both were sad and frustrated, but we went back to the car, and that was another decision that helped save our life. And then how much longer until you were found? It was another seven days. Um, We were very grateful at that time that the um, storm stopped. So we were able to, we actually thought eating snow would help some of our um, dehydration and replenish our body. And what we didn't realize at the time, by eating the snow, which was a solid, it made it harder on our body to turn it into a liquid. Really? Yeah, it was, and, and we actually realized that just by eating the snow, it made us, like we became more parched, mm-hmm. and it made us more thirsty. And so we said, maybe we can melt it. Okay. And because we were in such a high elevation in the White Mountains in Arizona, um, we were able to take anything that we could use as a container. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I wear contacts. Yes. So I was able to clean out the contact container, um, the top of a hairspray bottle, mm-hmm. and we set up a snow melting lab. Oh, in the car. Wow. In the car, on the dashboard, and we, like I said, we were grateful the storm stopped. It never started again. Yeah. And the heat from the windshield and being in such a high elevation, even though it was below five degrees outside, we were able to melt snow, and that was another decision that saved our life. I can't even imagine. And I can't imagine going that long without food. Yeah, I can't either. When I'm stuffing my face at night, I'm very grateful <laughs> for the opportunity to eat, I tell you. And you got to have humor. Um, yes. You know, Lisa and I are both so grateful our lives were saved. Um, sometimes in this crazy journey of life, I wonder whether it's health stuff with me or frustration with my children or life or whatever. And then I just have to be grateful that I was saved 30 years ago. Yes. How has this whole situation changed you? I mean... Your outlook on life, everything. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I like to think it hasn't changed me much. I have such a great group of friends that I grew up with in Arizona um, from high school on, elementary school, that I'm still friends with. And a lot of them like to tease me and say, I haven't changed. I'm sort of the same sassy, spunky child that I was. But something like that does change you. Um, It's really forced me to appreciate the little things. Um, appreciate the opportunity that life gives just by waking up each day. Right. What what I also hear you saying goes along with the theme of my show, which is resilience, and you find this strength in yourself. I mean, both of you, fortunately, were not these two women to just cry and wilt and give up. You were determined to find different ways to keep going until you were found. Absolutely, and, and we had to, you know, um, when people ask, well, you know, did you, were you afraid you were going to die, and honestly, I never thought I was going to die. I couldn't have imagined living my life as an amputee, that wasn't something that even came into the realm of my thinking, right. but I never thought I was going to die. I always knew I was going to see my parents and my grandparents again 
for some reason, those four figures were always in my mind, always in my strength to want to survive what we went through in that car. And I think at 19, I remember myself at 19, that you have a certain, you know, uh, strength about you. Yeah, yeah, you do. You really do. And and I think it, I, I, it's almost like I felt guilty for being lost. I felt like I owed it to my family to survive, mm-hmm. to show them that, that everything's going to be okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're probably thinking about, oh, my gosh, what are they thinking right now? What are they going through? Absolutely. And, you know, and until I wound up writing my autobiography, uh, the Jamie Goldman Up and Running story, mm-hmm. which came out in... 1999, 2001, I never sat down with my parents and said, hey, what was it like for to have a child missing for 11 days? <gasps> because why would I? Right, of course. I mean, here I am, I'm alive, I have a wonderful relationship with my parents, with my family, why would I ever want to go back and relive what they went through? And when we did, and that's what we did when we wrote this book, it was so important for my author, Andrea Kagan, to meet my family and to speak with my family. And it was really therapeutic at the time, and especially now being a parent, you know, it really takes me to a different place. I can't even imagine what my parents must have gone through for those those days. I know, because, you know, you think about um, your mother and what what that feels like to turn the tables. Absolutely, especially yeah. now, like you said, being a mother, and, and I don't even, I, I can't, you know, my kids are 15 and 13, and very fortunate, we live in Huntington Beach, a very safe place, and, mm-hmm. you know, they've been running around the neighborhood for years, and, um, you know, that's the bonus of the cell phone, is I can track them and see where they're at. Yes, do they give you a grief on that? I'm just kidding. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I remind myself how much grief I gave my parents. You know, just, I, know. Um, I didn't have a cell phone. I just had attitude or whatever else went along with the day. I know, I know. But life is very complicated right now. Very much so. Yes. But I want to uh, dive further into the story. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Jamie Marseille. And she's a mother, teacher, author, multiple gold medal winner, world record holder, motivational speaker, and double amputee. So at what point... Did you see people there to rescue you, and what was that like? Yeah, so, um, I mean, Lisa and I kind of had our daily routines, and we were the car we were stuck in was actually my brother's. It was a small S10 Blazer, and so we would, and during the night, we'd lay down in the back, and then during the day, and we knew there was something wrong with our feet. There was tingling. I think one of us might have even said the word frostbite, but not knowing what it really meant. Mm-hmm. And so we sat in the front seat and the driver's seat, and we kept our feet up on the dashboard because just like it was hot and it was able to melt water or melt the snow for water, it gave us relief from some of the pain we were having in our feet. Right. And um, we were just sitting there like we did every day, and um, we um, all of a sudden two people appeared out of nowhere. (gasps) Oh, you must have thought you were hallucinating. Yes, very much so. Because we had heard traffic, we actually there were times we saw helicopters, mm-hmm. and both of our feet were so swollen, and Lisa was a little smaller than I was, so she was able to put my ski boots on and jump up and you know jump on the car, wave at the helicopters, wave at the air traffic, and no one saw us. So the fact that we didn't even hear these snowmobilers coming was just crazy that they just came out of nowhere and showed up. Ugh, and then. Not only you, but your friend have to get, basically, have to ha- be amputated? I mean, what, what happened to her? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So Lisa wound up having partial amputations of almost all of her toes. Mm -hmm. So she was very grateful they were able to save her feet, but the nerves and the tissues were so damaged that they did cause extensive damage over the years. I think she's had maybe 13 to 15 surgeries in the last 30-plus years. Oh, my gosh. But then you, did you immediately know, you know, something's wrong here? Yeah, after, after we were found, we knew there was something wrong with our feet. Not exactly sure what it was. Eventually, we were taken to the hospital after we were found, and um, they started talking to ampute about an amputation to my parents right away, but not me. I mean, I was 19. I was the one who had to sign the paperwork and agree to the surgery. Right. But at that time, um, everything, we actually had frostbite on all our extremities. And uh, everything was coming back for me but my feet. Oh. Yeah, so, so at that time, I was very fortunate. I had a prosthetist who's the person that's going to go on to make my legs mm -hmm. and a surgeon that had already worked together for a, a quite amount of a few years. And they came in and met me. Okay. And so I had the comfort level of watching a video, a woman who had a prosthetic device like me. It was only one. I would have two, but just something to compare it to. Um, so, but I was so naive. I mean, in the beginning, I, I really thought I was going to sleep with my prosthetics on. I would never take them off, and, and that's just not true. It's, I mean, it's a wonderful assistance to give me a quality of life. Yes. But it's an artificial device. It's like your shoes. I mean, when I go around and I speak, whether it's adults or children, what's one of the first things you do when you come home in the afternoon or the evening? Yeah, you kick take, your shoes off. Yeah. Take your shoes off, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if I take my legs off, i got to find a wheelchair or someone to give me a piggyback ride, right. but it's, it's very similar to the feeling. But how were you when you were told, listen, we have to amputate both legs? Um, I think I was really distraught. Yeah. I was really concerned about my future. Um, I had a handful of questions for the doctors, and the big ones were, can I go skiing again? Because mm -hmm. that was the only activity I did growing up. Yes. Um, can I get married? Okay. Can I go back to college? Can I have children? Can I wear high heels? Mm -hmm. um, you know, those were the important questions, and they answered yes to all of them. Right. And at the time, I was sick. I, I mean, my, I should have started to feel better, but because my feet had actually switched over and um, contracted an infection called gangrene, it was making me sick. Oh. Right. So I knew to yeah, it oh. was it was you know this vicious cycle that wasn't getting better. Right. So and they promised me I'd get out of the hospital, and that was a big thing, that I really wanted to go home. Sure, sure. And you were a very active mentally and physically person. Not at the time. Mentally, sure. But growing up, I was not an active physical person at all. Oh, I did not weren't. participate in sports. And, oh. you know, and ironically, that all changed after I lost my feet. Isn't that interesting? Because I thought you were a skier. I skied, yes. Okay. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed skiing, and, yeah. you know, another twist on it, I grew up in Arizona, and we skied. Okay. People don't understand, well, that's the desert, and as I you know. know, there are mountains. <laughs> and, um, yes, I did, I did grow up skiing, and I really enjoyed it, but that was the only sport I participated in. So, you lose your legs, and what happens? Like, you just, I, I don't feel like you sat around having a pity party. I feel like you just amped up your life. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't. I mean, I have this, my grandfather, I'm the oldest of six grandchildren, and um, he gave me this tough love. Um, I'll never forget, I, I, my blood type is O positive, so, mm -hmm. um, and he also is O positive and wanted to donate blood, and at the time, he must have been 74, 75 maybe, and they were like, oh no, you're too old. 
and he's like, excuse me? What? And, yeah, and he, they took his blood, and they spun it, and they realized it was great, and it had no problems, and so they gave it to me. And I'll never forget, though, you know, after the amputation, I definitely had some solemn moments, some sad times, and he gave me, especially when they told me how to exercise. Oh, I was angry and frustrated. How dare you people tell me to go sweat? I mean, <laughs> I'm a girl. That's not what we do. And um, and here was my poppy, my grandfather, just, you know, getting in my face and telling me, well, it won't be so hard if you have exercised your whole life like I told you. Uh, nothing like a little guilt trip. <laughs> exactly, exactly. A lot of tough love, I like to say. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I did. I started exercising. I went to the gym, and it made me strong. It gave me confidence as a young woman yeah. to go back into society, and it really helped me become who I am today. Yeah. See, when I read about you in the paper, I thought, she's incredible. And again, my show, Get the Funk Out, I'm so fascinated with how people, they stare down a horrible, horrible moment in time and they become even more resilient to their surprise. Yeah. And I kind of had no choice. Right. Um, You know, I wanted to go back to college. I wanted to get out of the hospital. I wanted to move on with my life. And it was on me how to figure out how to work the prosthetics and how to get up each morning and to put them on. I mean, even, you know, with the greatest support group, my family, my friends, I'm still the one that had to learn how to use the legs and to push myself. But it's interesting when you say I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. I mean, some people might have lost their mojo. Yeah, absolutely. But I always reflect back on the fact I was saved on that mountain. Yes. When, from the time Lisa and I were saved, the doctors and the specialist said we probably only had about 48 hours left. <gasps> oh, my So gosh. knowing I was that close to death, even though I knew in my heart I wasn't going to die, mm-hmm. is something I try to use to an advantage for myself when I am having a down day. Or I am sad. I mean, you know, life is an interesting journey, and you're going to have lots of ups and lots of downs. Yes. It's just how you can handle them. Incredible. So tell me about, um, you do a lot of public speaking. Tell me about that. I do. So, you know, ironically, going back to my grandfather, I went back to college and I received, I earned a degree in uh, communication from Arizona State University. And then I actually moved here to California in 1993 and I got involved in childcare. And it's something I always loved. So I went back to college again and I received a second bachelor's in child and family studies. And my grandfather used to tease me. Are you going to be a full-time student? Uh, Are you ever, you know? And now I'm proud to say that I'm a motivational speaker. I've traveled all across the world speaking and sharing my story, Mm -hmm. providing an opportunity for people to find their own resilience from whatever their journey might be. And I'm also an elementary school teacher. So now I get to tell my grandfather, ha-ha, Poppy, guess what? I I was a professional student, but it's all paid off. Because I use both my degrees. Exactly. Um, Amazing. And you've written two books. I have. I've written two books. One is the adult version, um, the Jamie Goldman Up and Running story. And then I also have something called Running Free, which is a third grade reader written by Rigby Literacy by Design, which is in the uh, curriculum educational unit for third grade. Okay. And tell me about the film with uh, Steven Spielberg. Oh, my gosh, that was so fun. So years ago, before I had children, I was invited to be um, on the set and involved in a movie called Artificial Intelligence AI. Yes. And, um, you know, even as a background actor, because of my prosthetics, I was, excuse me, the robot hooker. So the good <laughs> thing is it was a movie. Nothing was real. Okay. Except for my prosthetics. Yes. 
And um, I met Steven Spielberg, a wonderful, very warm, caring man. And it was just really cool to be on a movie set and and do something fun like that, see the other side of the world. It, It doesn't come together as quickly and easily as the eye sees when we look at the movie. Yeah. Now, also, the kind of different activities you do on a daily basis, what kind of things do you do? Uh, well, I'm an uh, elementary school teacher, so I teach fourth grade, and this is the first year I'm actually doing something called job sharing. So I work part-time, hence I'm not working today. I have the opportunity to speak with you. Um, I'm also a two-time breast cancer survivor, and that's pretty recent. I was originally diagnosed almost three years ago, mm-hmm. and then a second diagnosis jumped me right into a statistic that I wouldn't take for granted. Um, I'm technically stage four, so they tell me it's terminal, but we're all terminal. Everyone's going to die someday. But unfortunately, I think how the doctors handled some of that information, uh, my husband and I didn't really appreciate. And we decided to set up a charity, a nonprofit that we did. It's called the Jamie Marseille Warriors with Hope. And our mission is to provide hope. Um, You know, I feel like one of my oncologists tried to take that hope away from me. And this cancer journey has been very hard financially, emotionally, on myself, my family. But I always have hope. And that's something that we want to share with others in many ways. Have you heard of the film Weed the People? Uh, No, I have not. Okay. I had Mara Gordon on my show. She's in that film, Weed the People. And there there are a lot of people right now who have cancer. Uh, I know a few. And instead of just the, you know... One Direction, Western Medicine, chemo, people are also doing other things. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I definitely fall in that basket. I have an integrative slash holistic MD doctor. She's a real doctor, okay. and I also have my oncologist. Great. So I do so much stuff that balances it out. I've been going through chemo. Um, I've actually had 38 treatments of radiation in the last three years, two and a half, and I know my body has stayed healthy because I've gone to the gym and I've eaten healthy and I've juiced and I've done so many different supplements and so many vi- different treatments. Right. So I'm definitely a believer, and it's a joint relationship between Western and Eastern medicine that I believe is keeping me healthy. It is because there's so many things that are anti-inflammatory that help you. And um, yeah, after the show, I think I'm going to send you a friend of mine to contact. Um, I think you. I would love that. I I wrote down the name of the movie, but I would love a contact because I believe, you know, we're we're all in this life together. So why not share? Why not help? And again, that's another reason we started a charity. There's so many people that are just so financially distraught from their own cancer journey, or maybe maybe they're an amputee and they can't afford a foot to get a better quality of life. We've been able to fill the gaps for so many people, and it's been a big blessing. I'm just blown away because of all the things you've done and all the things you're doing for other people. It's wonderful. Uh Thank you. Thank you. I think it's it's our purpose. It's our mission to make the world a better place and how you found it. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you? Um, I, you can check out my website, iamjamie.com, and it's J-A-M-I. So it would be I-A-M-J-A-M-I.com. And you can also check out our charity website, our nonprofit. It is Warriors, and that has an S, with hope.org. And one last thing, what would you say to someone who's going through a hard time right now? Uh, You know, um, life will change on a dime. Mm -hmm. 
so even though it seems like this is a really difficult, trying time for you, find something to be grateful for and say it out loud. Look in the mirror. You know, whether it's you have food in your refrigerator, a roof over your head, an animal that gives you that unconditional love, a wonderful spouse who holds your hand through everything, um, healthy children, uh, whatever it is, you know, just realize it's, it's a small window in time in your life and really try and find a way, whether it's listening to me on a podcast, finding, you know, reading the book, The Secret, anything that re, uh, resonates with you to create that resiliency within will give you that gratitude and that want and that will to wake up and make each day a good day. Amazing. Jamie, I can't wait to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you too, Janine. we got to make some time to get together, us Orange County girls that live so close. I would love to. Thank you so okay. much for taking the time to call in. You bet. Thanks for having me. Everyone have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you so much. Take okay, care. take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Jamie Marseille calling in. Again, she's a double amputee, champion athlete, motivational speaker, and teacher. And all her info, information is up on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I want to mention I'm on Twitter at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. And KUCI is on Twitter at KUCI-FM. We're on Instagram at KUCI-FM. Facebook at KUCI 88.9, Tumblr, blog.kuci.org. And if you're not familiar with all of our shows, we have a lot of them, music and public affairs. Here's our website, KUCI.org. And if you want to find out about being a guest, you can just send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E. That's J-A-N-E-A-N-E at KUCI.org. We're going to take a little break, and then we will be back. You are listening to KUCI 88.9. FM in Irvine.